back them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Help Bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. I'm Zachary Scott Johnson. Today's episode is our third tribute episode. We do these occasionally where we highlight the work of one of our other favorite actresses. We did so with Carrie Fisher, Diane Keaton, and now the great Laura Dern. There is some Meryl news that we wanted to share with you right at the top of the episode, and we also talk about Big Little Lies quite a bit, which of course Meryl is now involved in, so there is stuff here for you Meryl fans as well. As always, we invite you to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, uh, especially on iTunes, but really any platform that you're using to download. It really helps. You can find more information about me at ZacharyScottJohnson.com. It's Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y. Scott only has one T, S-C-O-T, and Johnson is J-O-H-N-S-O-N. I also have a YouTube channel called The Song A Day Project, all one word squished together, The Song A Day Project. Uh, Please check out our Instagram, which is Meryl Street Podcast. Uh, Meryl McNally makes takes control of that, and she does a great job with it. You can also send us an email at MerylStreetPodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, MerylStreetPodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from our listeners, and we always read the messages, both of us do. So thank you for sending those in. We're ready to start the show. And you can just tell him that I'm checking out of his heartbreak hotel. Hey everybody and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this afternoon, Meryl McNally? I'm fantastic, Zach. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to be back. We're finally doing something today we've been talking about. You and I, I think we've even talked about it on the podcast for several months, but you and I have had this plan, it feels like, for about a year at this point. I I mean, really, truly, I lived in a different house when we first started talking about doing this. So That's funny. And we've lived here a while now. So um, we're doing a tribute episode to the great Laura Dern, uh, which we've been talking about. You guys knew it was coming and we're finally getting around to it. But before we talk about the great, the great Laura Dern, uh, have you seen anything lately, Meryl? Have you had time? You're so busy these days. Have you had time to see anything that we're not already talking about? I haven't seen anything in the movie theater. I saw Ocean's 8. Okay. When it first came out. Uh-huh. Um, and that was, it was charming. I mean, it was kind of forgettable, but it was fun. You know, I had a little bit, uh, yeah, I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but I had a little bit of a bone to pick at the end. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but yeah, did you see it? I did. I did. And I kind of feel the yeah. same way. What's your take on it? Okay, well, I, I'm going to be honest. I know it's probably... I can, you know, we both, I think, consider this a feminist podcast, and I would say that probably yeah. the the original movies are firmly in the not a feminist. I don't think it's necessarily like an anti-woman thing by any means, but you know what right. I mean? It's kind of like a bunch of cool guys and whatever. It's a bro club. It's a bro sure. club, yeah. And, and fun movies, but it's definitely a bro club. Yeah. For sure. 
I'm a big fan of the first one, actually. Um, I I really like that movie a lot. It's a it's a very rewatchable movie. It's just got and then I feel like I feel exactly the same way that I think a lot of people do about the other ones, where it just became a little too cool for school. It became a little too slick. Um, yeah. And there was a little bit of that going on for me with this one too. To tell you the truth, yeah. it felt a little bit kind of. I don't know. I, there was there was some detachment to it, and I couldn't really explain it. There were things that I liked about it for sure. Uh, mostly Kate Blanchett, to tell you the truth. I just think she is so yeah. cool. Um, she yeah, has. She didn't have enough screen time. She didn't. Um, but she really has this very effortless charm, um, and I just think she's. For a lack of a better word, I just think she is a badass. She is just such a really, like, she can do it all. She can play somebody like Queen Elizabeth, but she can also play, like, a biker chick. And, like, she's always authentic. She's just really great. And um, She's amazing. I like... might need to be our next tribute episode. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I like the fact that she was kind of in the Brad Pitt role because they worked together in a couple times. You know, they did Curious Case of Benjamin Button. They did Babel. And then, you know, um, Sandra Bullock was in the George Clooney role. In fact, they were siblings, um, you know, whatever. And they did Gravity together and they have, you know, a good friendship in real life too. So there were kind of some connections, I felt like, you know, to kind of tie things together between the movies. But... um, yeah, I don't know. There were I liked it, and I would I would recommend people go see it. I was maybe a little bit let down, if I'm being completely honest. Um, I was really yeah. excited about it and just didn't love it. Uh, I didn't dislike it really, but I just didn't love it. So since you've seen it, I'm I'm gonna talk. I'm definitely gonna talk about it. So if you haven't seen Ocean's Eight and you want to see it and don't want any spoilers, quit listening for a minute. Yeah, go ahead. Five minutes. Um, yeah. But so so. My problem was that they toted it as, like, an all-women's version of, of, you know, Ocean's Eleven, right? Ocean's Eight. And and they make Sandra Bullock, George Clooney's sister. But from the get-go, the entire project is overshadowed by the Danny Ocean character because you have people telling Sandra Bullock, oh, your brother wouldn't want you to do this. Your brother wouldn't want you to do this. What would your brother think about this? Right? Sure, yeah. So that's sort of over the whole thing. And then they have this big heist and they pull it off. And then at the very end, they negate the whole thing by telling you that one of the original male cast members got together with one of the women and executed an entirely different heist in a different part of the museum all by himself. Right. And Kate Blanchett just stood there and watched while the dude is actually the one who goes in and steals all the children. And I'm like, um, did we just negate the entire like feminist approach to Ocean's <laughs> Eleven? Because I think we did. I didn't think of it that way, but that's a very good point. And she goes and like says, Danny, you would have been so proud of us, you would have loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Well, there was also something a little bit unresolved there, and I'm kind of glad it was unresolved, but maybe I'll ask you if you if you kind of got the same impression. It felt to me like they were kind of setting it up for a sequel. I'm sure they're, and I'm guessing it did make yeah. good money, you know, so I'm sure the plan is to do another, you know, the first time they did three movies, so I'm guessing they're probably viewing it as like, you know, a series. It or actually did better than any of the other Ocean's movies. 
Oh, great. Great, great, great. I didn't, I yeah. guess I just hadn't paid much attention to the box office for it, but, um, well, that's good to know. And so hopefully they will keep going. Cause I think, I think the power in this ensemble is there. It's just, I, I think if there's a, maybe yeah. a better script, um, but yeah. I think the thing that struck me was I kept waiting. They kind of kept doing this thing like, oh, Danny's dead, you know, but is he dead? Because, you know, like that would be the right. perfect thing. So you just keep waiting or I kept waiting for him to like turn around the corner. And on one hand, I'm really happy that they didn't make that choice because like you say, I feel like that would have negated the whole female thing even more. But yeah. I also felt like there was so much build up to it and then there was nothing. It was just kind of like, okay, I guess he is dead. And I guess Matt Damon, there was, Matt Damon did film at least one scene for this movie and then they edited it out. They just left it on the cutting room floor. But um, I don't know. There's something about it that's like, you know, kind of pick a lane basically, which which direction are you going to go? I would almost have preferred there not to have been a connection to Danny Ocean and just like let it be its own thing, you know? Right, like, yeah, it's entirely own universe without the cameos from the other cast. Right. Because um, it didn't need it. It didn't. It you really know, there's didn't. There's no reason why it couldn't... It, there was no reason why Sandra Bullock couldn't just be Danny Ocean. Right. Female and, version. Right. <laughs> right. Same name even. It wouldn't have mattered. Right. Um, and, and people wouldn't care. They would have bought into it. I think there was also less time and energy put into character development and arcs for all the characters like oh, there yeah. were in the first movie. Yep. Like part of that first movie's charm is they are all so fully fleshed out. Right. They're all there for a very specific reason and they were very lazy with that in this movie. Right. I definitely hope they make another one. I love the group of women. I yeah. think I think the you know, the intention behind it was there. They just uh tweak it a little bit yeah and good chemistry just like you know that's what sell what sold the original series was kind of the chemistry in particular between george clooney and brad pitt they just kind of had this like yeah you know could finish each other's sentences kind of thing and i felt maybe a little bit less of that but but very strong still with sandra bullock and kate blanchett they they're a great duo i don't think the script was as strong i think had there been a better script it would have been easier for them to have that effortless feel to it but I don't know. The Sandra Bullock character is maybe just a little bit too serious for me in this one. Like, she doesn't yeah. really seem to be having as much fun. Like, Danny always seemed to be having fun. And she just kind of seems, right. like, not not having that much fun. But anyway. But, like you said, I, I hope say, they do. I was very excited to see Richard Armitage. He, oh, plays, sure. he plays the artist ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. that she gets some payback on. And he's been a favorite of mine for a while. Back to like masterpiece theater days. Okay, see so you He's always a lovely, lovely actor. You always come at me with these people. I've never, I, I've seen them obviously because I saw this movie, but I don't know who they are. So <laughs> it's another one. Well, I think he became more familiar with the Hobbit movies because oh. he plays. Okay. Um, he's. He's in the, that trilogy, uh, but he's also in wonderful masterpiece miniseries um, called North and South, based on Elizabeth Gaskell's novel. Nice. And he's wonderful in that. And then he's also in... So there is this really pretty pulpy, kind of terrible television show on Cinemax called Strike Back. Okay. But before it went to Cinemax, it was actually a British miniseries. I don't know if it was on Sky One or, or what. And he's in the original original season of it with, I think, Andrew Lincoln, the guy from Walking Dead. 
Oh, okay, yeah. That's really fun. That's really good. And then he was also on, um, guys, I'm, I, um, if you didn't know I was an Anglophile, you know I am now. He was also on MI5 or, or Spooks. Oh, okay. So he's done a lot of British television, and I yeah. have watched it all. All right. And he pops up in films. Um, he, he's getting more and more work in American films. And, cool. Uh, well-deserved. He's very good. Cool. And then I just watched, just in the last week or so, I watched um, Hannah Gadsby's Netflix special called Nanette. Woo! Oh my gosh. I really recommend it. Okay. To anyone and everyone. She is a, an Australian stand-up comic. She is very funny. And she, this special is phenomenal because she uses this stand-up special to really turn turn what she's doing on its head and she she uh, whacks you in the face with truth <laughs> nice and like i was weeping at the end like, actually weeping and not tears of laughter actual like cathartic tears and i was totally surprised by it and beautiful and she's phenomenal and i highly recommend it to everybody nice okay i've heard that that's yeah. very good what about you I have seen quite a few things in the theater, actually. Um, I saw Ocean's 8. I saw, and yeah, I'll just do quick hits on these. I don't think we need to, most of them don't necessarily need a a long thing anyway, but um, I'm trying to think of, I kind of go sequentially in my mind. I saw that movie Tag, um, which is about, you know, a bunch of friends who play a game of Tag. It actually surprised me. I didn't expect all that much from it, and I liked it. I won't say it's the greatest movie I ever saw, but... um, there was, I guess the thing that kind of got me about this movie was, I, you know, I was like three quarters of the way through the movie and I thought, wait a sec, I haven't seen a movie like this in a really long time in the sense that like, it seemed to me they were just going for a comedy. There was no like heartfelt moment. There was no kind of like, I. they were just, it was like kind of just straightforward comedy. And I was thinking to myself, wow, this is really something. I haven't seen something like this that is just like designed to make you laugh and kind of be escapism, you know, or whatever. But then yeah. within the last, I think, I don't know, 10 minutes of the film, there there's quite a lot of heart. They just get you right at the end, which I think when that happens, it's pretty effective. So I found it to be to be pretty great. Again, it's not the greatest thing you'll ever see, and certainly something you could wait to rent. You, there's not a huge need to see it on the big screen, but um, I definitely think it's worth checking out. It, it surprised me in kind of a, a good way, so I liked that very much. Um, I, saw, I saw the Mr. Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? That will just make you weep. Uh, it was very good. Um, I want to see it so badly. I'm scared of it, though. It's, you know, I don't think there's any reason to be scared of it. It's, um, it's good. It's good. It will make you, uh, it will make me cry. It will make you cry. Yes, it will make you cry. It was, because uh, I'm not somebody who feels particularly sentimental about Mr. Rogers. I, I always had respect for him. Um, but, you know, it, I, I'm not, I just don't go overboard on it. And, uh, yeah, it got me. So I would think anybody who actually has like lasting, uh, you know, attachment to that will will lose it all the yeah. more. It just kind of he is just a really really good person, and I think this documentary yeah. did a nice job of like, wow, there are just people out there in the world who like, like their entire being is based on giving, 
and that's who this guy was. Um, wow. So I saw that. I saw the new Jurassic World, um, which kind of has a connection. Oh, I saw that too. Oh, you did? I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, what'd you think? <laughs> I took my nephew. I did too. Oh, you know what? I thought it was pretty awful. But really? Like it knew it, like it, it like leaned into the camp, which I appreciated. Yep. Yeah. So I appreciated that. I think I did not see. I gotta tell everybody. I cried myself, <laughs> and I don't often say this, and I usually see everything, but I cried myself on only having seen the original Jurassic Park. I have never sat down and watched even one of the sequels. Really? And I read the reviews for the last Jurassic World movie and that it had a woman problem and that it was horribly misogynistic. Yeah. And so, you have to understand, the only movie I have to compare it to is the original Jurassic Park. Uh-huh. So there's that gap. Yeah, and, you know, I didn't expect it to be fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Good. How about you? Um, I, okay, well, this kind of relates to what we're, you know, Laura Dern is in the original Jurassic Park. Uh, Jurassic Park came out, I think, in 1993, and I was 11 when that movie came out, and I saw it four times in the theater, and I still think it's a perfect movie. Me too. It is just... It is, I I credit it really with being the, if I had to name one movie that made me fall in love with movies, that movie is it. There is something so magical about, I mean, as as corny as it is, it's that first scene where, you know, not the first scene in the movie, but when Sam Neill and Laura Dern get to that island and they see dinosaurs for the first time, the action is great. Don't get me wrong. The action is great, but that scene is magic. And I like the whole movie so really is. It's it's just a perfect, flawless movie. I really can't think of really any flaws with that movie. Um, and so I have found the sequels to be kind of varying degrees of uh, disappointments <laughs> because of that. Um, and I, the thing that changed for me about this particular one is because there have been four, I would say, kind of mediocre to straight bad sequels uh my expectations were significantly lower for this one and i think that really really helped me a lot with this one um this the lost world the second one i think is actually not a bad movie at all um it just kind of isn't jurassic park but it's still a good movie um and it takes a couple of kind of weird choices the third one the last in the original trilogy is just uh, the thing I admire about that one is they don't pretend to be anything other than an action movie. Like the first two, actually, that's the thing with The Lost World. The second one is it takes itself a little too seriously. I think it, it, the first right. one should take itself seriously. The second one, it, it kind of is still trying to do that. The third one was the first one directed by somebody else. And it just is like so, again, it's kind of what we were just talking about with with some other thing. It's just a straight action movie. It's not trying to, like, wow you with the dinosaurs anymore. Um, The reboot thing, yeah, there were some issues with the last one. And and quite honestly, I, I don't really... I think for me it comes down to the fact that, like, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard is kind of, you know, charismatic and, you know, as great as they are in their own rights, they, to me, just don't have anything on the original actors. They, I mean, like, they're, it, no. they're just not in the same ballpark. And maybe that's 
script, you know, because again, I think that first movie, it's, there's a development that doesn't exist in any of the four movies after it, but I don't you know. know. I think it's that somebody pointed out in a review, it was a, it was a, re- a review of the film on Lady Gothic, um, and, and she was right, that, you know, there's not much you can do with a Jurassic Park franchise. You have to recycle the same setup. Right. In as many different ways as you possibly can. And so I think, and also, I think back in 93, they weren't making blockbuster stars the way they turn them out now. Right. You know, Chris Pratt is a part of the Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, franchise. He's part of the Lego movie franchise. I mean, the guy is a franchise machine. Right. And I think... I think it changes the way we look at actors on screen, especially when they're in a franchise and we're on iteration number five right. of the same story. It just doesn't have the freshness or the surprise. Right. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Actually, one of the things I liked about this one, too, was I liked all the callbacks. There were a lot of like very kind of, oh, everyone who's seen the first one will get the callbacks here. And there were some subtle ones in there, too. Um, you know, even with the little girl going in the shoot, you know, that's very reminiscent of that. Oh, yeah. The scene of the two kids when they're in the like kitchen area, you know, and they just managed to close that at the last second. I mean, there are just so many callbacks to the original that I really appreciated and I thought were kind of tastefully done. Um, I don't, I don't know. For me, this one rated number two, I'll be honest. And maybe it's just because I saw it and I don't know. I, I liked it. I wouldn't say it did not blow me away like, you know, the other ones did. But I would put it number two in the series overall behind the original. That's interesting. And then I think... So I chose well to go see that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. there's that. Um, and then um, I know I saw a couple other things. The, la- the I saw yesterday, I saw Hereditary, which has um, been getting a lot of kind of interesting... Buzz, the horror movie with Tony Collette. Have you heard about this movie? Yeah, yeah. Did you like it? I don't know what to make of this movie. I, I, <laughs> and I think that's a pretty common reaction. I think it's similar to when I talked about that movie Mother with Jennifer Lawrence. Where I was like, I, I didn't know how to put it into words. This is, I'm not really a horror movie junkie. I, I like them well enough, but you know, like there haven't, there hasn't really been a good horror movie in a long time, as far as I can remember. And um, her performance is just amazing, which everybody is talking about. Um, you know, I don't know what to make of the movie. I need a little bit more time with that, honestly, to tell you how I feel about it. It just kind of like, it's another one where it took some left turns that I'm not sure I love. Um, the pacing of the movie I really found interesting. It, it It's such a patient movie. It reminded me of The Shining in a lot of ways. If, if you ever watched The Shining... Um, and actually some of the cinematography did too. It was kind of just like, and actually use of kind of what I would say is a sound landscape. And what I mean by that is it's not just like the score. It's like the sounds that are being presented are like, it's just a landscape of sound. There'll be like ocean sounds and, and like sounds that you're trying to figure out what the sound is and what the context is to the scene. And I don't know. It was a very cool. interesting movie and I think cool. definitely worth seeing. But it, um, the other thing is the way they marketed that movie was kind of funny because they made it seem like it was going to be so intense that you, you know, it's one of those movies that like, you know, you would be gripping your seat the entire time. Yeah, yeah. It, not that way at all. 
at all. Okay. Um, it's a very slowly so, paced you know, I'm movie. I'm more inclined to watch it knowing that. Yeah, yeah. I was I was kind of nervous about going to it, um, but yeah. um, the, it had its moments. There were a couple, you know, moments where I would turn, but I think you can sense when they're coming, and if it's not for you, you just turn, you close your eyes, you know what I mean? There, It's not a movie where, like, there's going to be a bunch of things jumping out at you and scaring you. It's really not like that. Right. Um, it's just a very tense movie, so... Um, very good. Give Tony Collette an Oscar nomination for sure. Um, she's the yeah. one to beat so far, but I don't know what to make of the movie, and that's okay. So, anyway, that's a lot of movies. I'm putting my movie pass to good use these days. And um, yeah, I, I looked up Movie Pass by the way, and it applies to no theaters in New Mexico. It doesn't. <laughs> well, that's the way it goes. <laughs> Um, I, but I do plan to get a movie pass for New York. Uh, yeah, that's a good plan. I cut out, just to let you know, Meryl, our audience, you should know that last time, for the last episode, Meryl and I had an extended discussion about movie pass, uh, which I cut out from the episode because it really started to feel to me like a like an unpaid advertisement and a really long unpaid <laughs> advertisement. Um, so... This I'll leave in, and I'll tell our audience, if you're curious about MoviePass, just look up MoviePass, and you'll figure out what it is. Um, But it's so popular now, kind of everybody's jumping on board anyway. So there is some Meryl news. Actually, there's a couple couple things. One uh, is Meryl had a birthday this week. Meryl Streep had a birthday this week. Yes, she did. She turned 69 years old, so happy birthday, Meryl Streep. Can you believe she's almost 70 years old? No. I can't either. I can't. I mean, 70 is the new 60, so, you know, yeah. it is what it is. But she just yeah. doesn't seem like somebody who's almost 70 years old. Not that 70 is old, you know what I'm saying? But, like, yeah. she just doesn't seem like somebody who's 70. So, God love you, Meryl. She's working as much as she ever did, so, you know, she's not know. slowing down. Speaking of, there was another announcement this week. Last time we talked about the movie The Laundromat, which is still in pre-production as best I can see. But there has been another movie that has been rumored that she is kind of circling. Do you want to talk about that one? Because you mentioned it last week. Yeah, it's so crazy. So um, our last episode, Zach asked me, you know, what roles I would like to see Meryl Streep play. And I said, Marnie and Little Women. And sure enough, there's a rumor that Meryl Streep and Emma Stone and Trisha Ronan are are potentially doing Little Women with Greta Gerwig, right? Directing? Yeah. Greta Gerwig directing. She did a rewrite on the script. Uh, the original, well, the original, of course, is Louisa May Alcott. It's based on her book. But Sarah Poli, I guess, did the original draft of this script, which if you know who Sarah Poli oh, is, lovely. I know. I think that's a, kind of a big deal, actually. I think she's really great. So I, that's something that I, I has not gotten very much traction, but did I think that's a good Alias sign. Grace? I, I have not watched that yet. Is she part of that? Well, she wrote and directed it. Did she really? Okay. I think yeah, she's and really it's great. It's so good. Yeah. Killer good. I recommend it to everybody. I was a yeah. fan of her going back to her acting days, you know, even, you know, in movies like Go and, you know, like cheap, you know, whatever. She did oh, a movie called. I watched her obsessively as a little kid in um, Avonlea. Oh, show. yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. She's she's yeah, done her. some really interesting stuff, and then the last couple of years, she did that movie with, um, she did that Alzheimer's movie a few years ago that I think might have been her uh, first directorial debut thing. Yeah. Um, 
so anyway, she's she's really great. So the thing that's kind of interesting is there's already, you know, these actors, I think it's still in the rumored category, but at the same time, they've all been specifically assigned. So obviously Meryl is Marmy. Uh, Saoirse Ronan is listed as Joe. Emma Stone is playing Meg. Timothy Chalamet is playing Laurie. And Florence Pugh, or Pugh, I don't know how to say her last name. She's the one who did Lady Macbeth. Pugh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's playing Amy. So... That is, I don't know. I feel like when they attach like the character names and everything, it feels a little bit more real. It's so funny. On first glance of the headline, I would have said Emma Stone is Joe. Oh, I wondered about that too. Yeah. And I put a bit social Ronan as Amy. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah who... So I'm really excited about that. I, I really like that mix up a lot. Yeah. And I'm not surprised they paired Tennessee Chalamet with Saoirse Ronan because those two have crazy chemistry. Well, and and back together with Greta Gerwig, um, you know, it's basically like a little yeah. ladybird reunion. If they can find a part for Laurie Metcalf, um, you know, they should figure that out. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> so can she play Aunt March? Eh, probably not. <laughs> Too young. <laughs> so there is. I I almost hesitate to bring this up. I'm curious if you have heard about this. So. You know, I kind of, right before we shoot our episodes, I'm not obsessive about Meryl Streep in the sense that, like, I don't, I don't really go to her IMDb page or look for news things um, unless we're about to, to do an episode, at which point I do, for pretty obvious reasons, we like to talk about these things. But, um, so, as I was kind of going through things, Meryl Streep was listed as the number two trending topic, I mean, just like an hour ago before we started filming, or before we started taping really? here. Yeah, and so I clicked on it, and the, so there's a little bit of the carryover of the Little Women thing. That's still kind of a big story right now. But the big thing, and this is the part that I'm both hesitant to bring up because this is exactly the kind of thing that kind of I, I think is ridiculous and kind of one of the things we try to be the opposite of. But it's a big enough thing that I've actually heard from a couple different things that there's been a lot of issues on the set of Big Little Lies and that there is kind of a some a lot of tension between Nicole Kidman and Meryl Streep. Have you heard about this? No, this makes me so sad. Well, this what's is like what's the rumor? Well, there are, there were a couple rumors. So a few weeks ago, I saw again one of one of the cast members was trending, and I clicked. I made the mistake of reading the article, which is problem number one. We shouldn't give them the clicks. I just I don't know. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I feel like when this this probably happens all the time on movies, and we just never hear about it unless it's like, you know, a giant miniseries and like you know female actresses that they're trying to take down a peg. But there was a yeah. thing saying. Um, Somebody had been at a restaurant and in comes basically the entire cast of Big Little Lies. So Meryl was there, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Shailene Woodley, Laura Dern, and they were all having dinner together. And somebody else who was in the restaurant, so, you know, this is, of course, an unreliable source. We don't know who even this person was, but they were saying that Reese Witherspoon was being very cold to everybody. And at that time, that was the rumor that Reese Witherspoon was having some problems with Meryl Streep because, and then basically the story about Nicole Kimmon is almost exactly the same and that they were all really excited to be working with her. But then, you know, she's on set and she's Meryl Streep. So like 
everybody's giving her all the attention and they're saying Nicole Kidman kind of went through last season is like, you know, she was kind of the first name on the call sheet kind of thing. She was the Oscar winning, you know, star and same with Reese Witherspoon. So it's basically like they're suggesting it's kind of a clash of the egos that there was no like real words spoken, but that, you know, having Meryl Streep kind of come in season two when you feel like, okay, well you made this thing what it was and now Meryl Streep is there. It's both good because she's bringing attention to your show and she's the greatest actress that's ever lived. But at the same time, there's this thing of, well, this is my series and, you know, you're just on it kind of thing. So any uh, thoughts on no, that? I don't buy it. I don't I either. but I don't buy it at all. Like, And I understand that, that so much of what actors do um, is, is part of the marketing game, right? And then I understand that to, to some extent you're putting on a good face for, for the public because you need to for your show. But the message, the intent behind Resolutions Production Company and the clear camaraderie between powerhouse actresses on the first season of Big Little, Little Lies, um, if there was going to be a clash of egos, it was going to happen then. I agree. I And like I said, I just, I feel like you don't hear this story, you know. You don't hear that about men. Yep, exactly. And they pull those shenanigans all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones will let you look them in the eye. Nobody's talking about that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so again, I, I kind of hesitated to bring it up, but... It's a story yeah. that's out no, there, and it's it's part of it. It's just kind of, it's regrettable that that is kind of thought of. And again, you know, it's one of those things that everybody is saying. It's not like there's any actual. The article that I read today, again, specific to Nicole Kidman, was saying, you know, that there's already, you know, questions about will this season be as successful as last season? Because last season was a pretty big deal, and they, you know, just won every award possible, and um, you know, if it's as successful as last season was, they'll for sure try to do a season three. And so they were saying, you know, everybody's friendly. It's not like there was any blowouts or anything, but um, they basically were like, you know, things are going to get awkward when these stars are nominated against each other for awards and Meryl Streep wins. Then, you know, they'll have to kind of have conversations before coming back for season three. But, you know, it... Meryl's making like five movies coming up over the next two years anyway. So who knows if they would even be able to get her again. So I don't know. Yeah. I also would be surprised. It's my understanding Meryl Streep is playing um, Alexander Skarsgård's mother. Right. And so that dynamic can get tricky on set. Because oftentimes you do take, you do sort of take the social position of your character. Right. That's a common thing that happens. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was some distance between Meryl Streep and the other cast members for that reason. Sure. But I follow Big Little Lies on Instagram, and um, I follow some of the actresses from Big Little Lies on Instagram. And again, I understand that Instagram is a, a marketing tool. You know, it's also very difficult for people to hide. <laughs> right. Um, and I mean, all seems well. There's all sorts of happy 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 pictures of socializing off of set not just that stuff right yeah there was a picture of them all like out bowling and you know bowling yeah yeah so it's probably a lot being made out of a little i would say it also sounds like 
Uh, Meryl probably, it, it seems to me more likely that Meryl Streep has a really significant role in this thing now. Um, it's it's oh, starting yeah. to sound more and more like she's kind of an equal cast member at this point. And, but we'll find out when the, when the miniseries comes out. So, um, all right. Any other Meryl news? No, I don't think so. All right. Let's dive into our tribute to Laura yeah, Dern, yeah. who's also in this miniseries that we're talking about here. So, um, we love Laura Dern. So let's see. What are what are some of your favorite Laura Dern performances? What are ones that you were excited to kind of visit with this one? So I'll tell. I mean, I'll tell you my backstory with Laura Dern. <laughs> I she was kind of off my radar. My radar growing up before uh, Jurassic Park because uh, she has always made really solid substantive films, right? They're really nice for adults. And, she, and, and so Jurassic Park was my first introduction to her by far. So funny, I've always associated her with her dad, who is the actor Bruce Dern. And this is a credit to Bruce Dern and his skill as an actor, but I hate him. Really? <laughs> because, he's a, because he's a wonderful actor, but because he killed John Wayne. Oh, that's right. So one of that's my right. one of my favorite movies growing up was The Cowboys with John Wayne, and it's one of the few films where John Wayne as the good guy he does not win, he dies, and Bruce Dern is the bad guy, and he is bad. I mean, he is nasty bad. He is so good, and uh, for the longest, it's so funny. So I when I when I first saw her, it didn't make me dislike her at all, but I've always associated her with her dad sure. and sort of by connection that role and then she also made such interesting films that were really not for kids or, or teenagers I mean she's always I just watched the interview with her and, and she did an interview with Sam Jones and she talked about the, how lucky she's been and being able to be very selective in what she chose to do as an actor and not every actor has that luxury Right, and um, you can see that when you go back and look at her filmography so I was excited to visit I really hadn't watched a lot with her She, I watched Jurassic Park and then I had seen her you know in supporting roles like Fault in Our Stars and you know where she's um, a little bit more in the background and then I watched Big Little Lies and she's blown away by her she was so phenomenal so to the extent I could I just started watching more. I watched her performance in A Perfect World, a film I had never seen. Yeah. What did you think of that movie? Um, you know, it's so funny. My mom, my mom growing up let us watch all sorts of things that we probably shouldn't have been watching. Like, I saw The Untouchables, and I watched Robert Nero beat somebody's head in when I was, like, I don't know, eight. And but she would never let me watch A Perfect World because... The premise is Kevin Costner plays this escaped convict who takes his little boy hostage, and they essentially go on a road trip. He kind of becomes a father figure for this kid who doesn't doesn't have a father. And uh, Clint Eastwood is the sheriff that's sort of running after him. Laura Dern plays his. Um, she's been appointed by the governor to assist with with the the chase and the investigation. And you know, it's a man's world. It's set in the '60s, and so she's facing that. She's a criminologist. And you know what? I really, I liked it more than I thought I would. I was surprised how benign it was, given that my mother would never let me watch it. 
Sure. Yeah, I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. I yeah. thought it was um, sweet. I thought it didn't surprise me because Clint Eastwood, you know, he very consistently deals with, with the consequences of violence and, and what that does. And you come away with a lot of questions. Is, is this convict a violent bad person? Is he a good person? He's both. Um, and it deals with those themes. Well, I liked it. Good. I'm assuming you've seen it. I have, but this is this is one of the movies that um, I try to, as I always try to do with our tribute episodes. I try to watch a whole bunch, and that's one that um, I even I surprise surprise for any previous listeners because I own every movie on DVD. I do own this movie on DVD, A Perfect World, but it's so oh. it's so scratched up that it's unplayable so i must have got it used oh, no. from somewhere so anyway i wasn't able to rewatch that one and that's one that i would have liked to have rewatched i'll i'll rewatch it sometime you know just for the fun of it but um, I watched a whole bunch of her movies, and that was one that um, it's just been a really long time since I saw it. I remember liking it, but I don't remember having a, a huge attachment to it or anything. I remember I thought at the time that the tone of it to me seemed different from from kind of most Clint Eastwood movies. And now that I've seen more Clint Eastwood movies, I don't know that I necessarily feel that way. I think I wasn't quite used to his more sensitive side you know that he's right. he was doing kind of in the mid 90s this was just a couple of years before bridges of madison county and um even to a lesser well no i was going to use midnight in the garden of good and evil as a as an uh example too but maybe that's not a great example of a sensitive clint eastwood movie yeah. <laughs> um yeah, <laughs> but there are you know some movies that he made there for a period of time that he kind of seemed to be it, it, he wasn't just going back to the western you know, shooting stuff. Right. So, um, what I find really interesting about Clint Eastwood films and what I really found surprising about Laura Dern's character and her performance, um, was that they, given the time it was made and it came out, what, early 90s? Yeah, I think it was 93. Um, yeah, yeah, it was. Same year as Jurassic Park. It is incredibly ahead of its time in terms of how it treats women. Interesting. I mean, the film really highlighted the issues and the problems that women face. Her character, uh, you know, faces obstacles just by virtue of her being a woman in, in, in a man's, traditionally a man's field law enforcement. And it, the the film drives that home on a consistent basis, and Laura Dern's performance is amazing. And she's just, I mean, it's a supporting part, and she just, she elevates the film. Yeah, I think that's a good, sure. that's a good description of kind of what she does. Actually, since we're talking about yeah. 93, let's talk about her performance in Jurassic Park. We've kind of yeah. already touched on the movie, but... You know, one of the things that I like about this movie, and it also relates to discussions you and I have had on the podcast and just in real life, too, about, like, our feelings about Spielberg and how he kind of, the performances that he gets out of women and how he he almost seemed afraid of women for a really long time. Um, You know, he never, with the exception of Whoopi Goldberg, he never really cast a woman in a lead role in Tell Meryl Streep. And, um, but at the same time, to give him, credit too i mean i guess it's more of a screenplay thing than him but like she is a really capable very smart non-sexualized um 
you know, part participant basically in Jurassic Park. I, I really wow. appreciate that. I really appreciate that she's not relegated. She's she's out there, you know, in in the thick of it. She's not relegated to just kind of being there and witnessing everything that's happening. She's an active participant in it, which um, I think that's one of the reasons that I feel attached to her and attached to that movie so strongly, you know? Yeah, I wish um, I wish she had been on my radar sooner. Sure. Because um, with the exception of Jurassic Park and, and in watching the films I have watched for this episode, that that is what she brings to the table. She brings this just total strength. And um, it's, it's not about her being a woman. It's not about her not being a man. She is just this powerful human being. And even even in the performance in shows like Enlightenment, yeah. there's just so much strength behind it and so much character that it really does. It doesn't matter what part she's playing. She just takes everything up a notch. She makes everything better. She and does. you're right. I, I mean... Jurassic Park, I saw it four times. My sister saw it five times. I can't think of another movie from my youth where we got to see a woman, you're right, be a part of the action and not be hypersexualized. Right. It's not Tomb Raider. Not yeah. be condescended to. Yeah. Yeah. And and be a powerhouse in the process. Yep. She's not the one making mistakes. Right. <laughs> it's other characters. And um, it was huge in terms of, you know, providing just a really badass role model. Right. Yeah. For women. It's just so cool. Well, and it could have... She's a rock star. She is. And I think, um, you know, in that movie in particular, it could have gone that way. You know what I mean? Like, it could have been because... It could have, with different casting. Well, with different... Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it, it could have been the wife character because, you know, Sam Neill and her are, that's what, again, that's yeah. what I like about it is they're pretty much equals in this thing. It's not just yeah. Sam Neill and his, you know, attractive wife to give, you know, <laughs> I don't know. There's something about it that's just great. I think her, a lot of her appeal is that she kind of straddles this line of like, she's very relatable um, and she feels like somebody who um, would be easy to be friends with. I mean, you know what I mean? Like she seems kind of approachable. Yeah. She seems relatable. But yet she's also that kind of cool that everybody wants to be like her. Um, and I don't think both those things exist in a lot of people. I think it's sometimes one or the other. Right. Um, but yeah. she really can do both. Actually, it's similar. That's how I feel about Kate Blanchett too. She does have that. She just seems like a kind of... I don't know, normal person. She, that's what it is. She seems like a normal person, but also a really cool person. <laughs> I don't know. She, she, I think she, until Big Little Lies, she's certainly had her, you know, peaks. She's gotten some Oscar, no, you know, nominations and things like that. She's, she's a, for sure, a Hollywood movie star, but she's not one of the people that you would, th she's not a prestige name, a, at least until fairly recently. She hasn't been like a prestige name. She's just been somebody who's, She's like Jennifer Jason Lee or somebody like that who's just really reliable every single time. And yeah. you go, wait a sec, why am I not watching everything that she's in? Because she's great all I the know, time. I right? Yeah. A Amy Adams is somebody, like that for me, too. Yeah, I, where was I reading? I can't remember. I read this somewhere. I will not take credit for it. But I agreed with it entirely. 
somebody, they were talking about Laura Dern, and they said, um, um, they were talking about other actresses. And they, they said, think about, I think, oh, God, it was some young, super young actress who seemed really young and is really young. And I said, think about Julia Roberts at this age. She was doing Pretty Woman. Did she seem as young as this other actress? And I talk about, like, women... Um, when women kind of come into their own um, as, as actors, and it's different for everybody, sort of when they peak. Mm-hmm. And I think Laura Dern is at that place now. She's just had so, she's got so much grounding and strength that is hard to translate to 20-something characters yeah. who are written two-dimensionally. Right. And so I think she's taken a lot of character roles and a lot of really interesting, more dramatic roles and um, supporting roles because that's where she finds meat. Yeah. And now that now that they're writing these more flushed out, fascinating women like like her character in Big Little Lies, she's got what she needs to actually sink her teeth into, and she I just feel like she's coming into her absolute period i hope it lasts for the rest of her career she's phenomenal i do too actually yeah i agree with everything you just said there and yeah that's something that's very well articulated on your part because that's that's something that i've felt too it just seems like lately she's actually getting the better parts i would say like the better parts she's had some very good parts in movies that nobody really saw like the david lynch movies that she's been in and uh you know her her oscar nomination from 25 years ago, Rambling Rose. Well, that's a great role, although there are some women issues in that movie as well. But, um, you know, it's 25 years old, so we're a bit more evolved now. So looking back on it is a different thing. But, you know, those movies, the, the movies that she got then were not movies that a ton of people saw, you know, with the exception of Jurassic Park and, you know, October Sky and, you know, whatever. Some right. some of the slightly bigger movies. I am Sam. She had a smaller part in that, and um, you know, things like that. So she was again. People who were seeing those movies are going, "Oh man, she was great in that." And then would kind of forget about her for a while until her next great performance. But it might be a few years before you saw one of these smaller movies that she was doing. Um, so yeah, it's not just that she's getting great roles now. She's getting like big movies now. The Fault in Her Stars was a big movie. Wild was a big movie. She's in the yeah. she's in the freaking Star Wars movies now. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So and so Big cool. Little Eyes. So she's getting kind of the you know career that she should have had from the yeah. beginning. Now she's getting that. You know what else I love about her that I think. Um, and I think she spoke to this in the Sam Jones interview, which I recommend. It's on Netflix. It's, um, uh, I don't remember which season it is, but you can you can just search Laura Dern, and I think the interview will come up on Netflix. Okay. But she um, she's not afraid to go there. I mean, I know that sounds really cliche, but she's not afraid to be um, ugly or messy. And I don't don't mean physically. I mean. Human beings, women, men, we can be ugly. We can be ugly to each other. We can be ugly to ourselves. We can, um, you know, we can be hot messes. We can, you know, be vulnerable. We can be prideful. We can be all of those things. And 
she, I feel like as an actor, is willing to go there uh, with abandon in a way that other actors aren't. Like, there's a lack of self-consciousness there. She'll just go there. Right. Um, you really see it in her performance in Enlightenment. It's brilliant. Well, actually, can we, the Enlightened, right, that HBO show? Oh, yeah. yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. Um, so, actually, what you were talking to, I kind of want to talk about the first thing. I guess maybe I, I'm not... Um, yeah. What you were talking about when you said not physically, um, because actually that's another thing about that show. I'm looking at the, the cover for the DVD of it right now, and she's yeah. got makeup <laughs> smeared down her face. Sarah running down her face. It's yeah. So but see, that's the thing. That's what they say... Uh, you know, I've heard this said about Lucille Ball and Julia Louis-Dreyfus in particular as comedians, that the reason that they're so funny, um, and again, you don't hear this about men, but we'll leave that out of it for, for the moment, is that, they are, yeah. that they're not self-conscious, that they're willing to, you know, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was willing to look like an idiot while dancing on Seinfeld. She was willing to right. do that and look physically bad or whatever you want to call it for the sake of the joke now there are a lot of people both men and women who would struggle with that whose ego they would want they would want to look good at at all moments and you know for laura dern that is a that television series which is brilliant i'm you know enlightened is a brilliant show and a really good um place to go to if you're looking for a great performance from her but um, she had a lot of control over that. And, you know, if you look at yeah. the, you know, she was a producer on it, I'm sure. And I think she co-created it or something with, with somebody. Yeah, she she wrote some of it. Um, she was uh, the creator of it with Mike Waite, who's also on the show. He's really great. Um, so anyway, she had a lot of control for sure over this. And she wasn't afraid to put herself on the poster with, you know, mascara running down her face and this weird expression yep. she wasn't afraid to to show promos and commercials where she was freaking out and screaming you know she was willing to do that because that's what the role was she wasn't hiding behind right. who she you know how she looks and letting that carry it for her so there is something to that there there really is and there's something um and I think it's um, it's born from being true to the humanity and the characters. Yeah. And um, I don't think we I don't think we see it or talk about it as much from men because there is a lack of I think there's a lack of emotional vulnerability um, in in male roles and the way they're written because it's just. And this is obviously an overgeneralized statement, and there are exceptions to the rule. There's a lack of vulnerability um, written into male characters because I don't think we're used to or ready to see it. I think that needs to change. Right. I think it's part of the the toxic masculinity that still sort of exists out there. Right. Um, but I do, I do love that we're seeing it more from women now. Um, true, true vulnerability. Not like, oh, I'm so weak. Come save me. But like her performance in Enlightened, um, she is a woman trying to take control. She is a woman trying to make her life better. She is being proactive in that, and it doesn't always go well. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, that's what's so beautiful about it. It's just so messy and stunning. Yeah. Yeah. 
she really is very versatile. She should get more credit for that. Have you ever seen yeah. any of the David Lynch projects that she's done? She's done four of them. By I have not. Okay. I have not seen Blue Velvet. Let's see, it's Blue Velvet. She did Twin Peaks, right? She Yeah, the recent, the TV series Twin Peaks. She did Wild at Heart, which I just rewatched. Actually, I, re- I okay. rewatched Blue Velvet and Wild at Heart for this. And then she did one later in the late 90s, early 2000s. Actually, I think it's early 2000s, called Inland Empire. Um, let me okay. look at that one. That one um, I'd like to revisit. I've seen that, but I didn't revisit. That was 2006. Um, that one I remember that David Lynch was campaigning really hard for her to get an Oscar. I think he did something like really kind of flashy. I can't remember what it was, but he like, you know, was out on like Hollywood Boulevard with like billboards he made himself or something. Like he was really gunning for her oh, to wow. get an Oscar nomination for that movie. Um, but I rewatched some of the early ones. Blue Velvet, she has a smaller part in. But um, Wild at Heart with her and Nicolas Cage, and I guess they became a couple, you know, before or after that. And um, that's another one. It's it's right before she did Rambling Rose, which is the one that got her her first Oscar nomination. And um, so I, I, I watched both of those, and I was just saying that that Rambling Rose has some women issues. She basically plays a woman who... Well, she basically plays a prostitute, which is, you know, sign number one that, you know, this is maybe not the most, I don't know. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be stories made about prostitutes, but you know what I mean? It's kind of a, it's a trope. Um, and it's it's a comedy, isn't it? Um, there are moments of it. Yeah. It's supposed to be a light. Yeah. It's not, it's definitely not a heavy drama, but, um, yeah, and it is it is one of those movies too where that I think Robert Duvall is the like you know na- the biggest name in it, but it's really her movie and um, her. I, this is a movie. I again, this is a spoilers thing, but it's a movie from nineteen ninety one. So you know you've had your chance, and if if you really don't want to hear a spoiler, just jump ahead one minute because this won't take long. Her character gets pregnant, and um, so her real life mother Diane Ladd. Uh, is in the movie as her mother, which they've done that quite a bit. She's played her mom in four or five different movies, which I think is real cool when your real life mom awesome. can play her, you know, mom. But it's this thing where, uh, you know, these two caretakers are not her parents in the movie, but Robert Duvall's characters, character and Diane Ladd are talking to um, her doctor, basically. And he's the one saying what he basically says is he she he's going to remove one of her i can't remember it exactly right because i saw it a couple weeks ago but he's removing i think he's doing a hysterectomy on her or something and so he's removing one of her ovaries which is which is necessary and he he's saying that he thinks it might be the right decision for her to to actually remove the other one too to prevent her from being able to get pregnant and basically to to lower her sex drive they basically just think the doctor thinks that she's oversexed and just too interested oh in. Oh I know. See where I see what I'm talking about. And <laughs> so uh, Robert Duvall. I'm sure it's not done to highlight the highlight how awful that is. Well, okay. <laughs> so it? so it, so here's where I'm going with this. So first of all, Laura Dern's character is not in the room, which is problem number one. They're having this discussion without yeah. her there. Um, but. The two men, so Robert Duvall goes along with this and he says, yes, I agree. And then Diane Ladd's character, who, you know, who again is not her mother, but is basically like a, a kind of mother figure. Mother figure, yeah, thank you. 
Um, she gives this pretty great speech, actually, about, you know, you don't get to make this choice for her. And um, so then she convinces Robert Duvall. But then the moment is about Robert Duvall's character saying, please forgive me, you know, like him atoning. And, and, then, and then her giving Robert Duvall this look of, you are a good person. And it's just, come on, really? Like, you oh, know, bad. Laura Dern's not even in the room when all of this goes down. She's not even there. This is her. She's a she's an adult. They're talking about her body as if she has no control over it, as if like she doesn't even get a say in the decision. It's just absurd. And it probably is like time period accurate and all of that because it's it's set back. I can't remember when 20s or 30s, maybe. And um, maybe later, maybe 40s. But um, anyway, so there are some issues there. But getting back to the David Lynch one, I don't know that Wild at Heart is a very sexualized movie too. Um, so yeah. I don't, I, you know, there are, it's kind of a David Lynch thing. You can always count that he he really, oh yeah, he has a lot of naked women in his movies, um, and you know that sometimes people are naked. That's you know, it depends on the circumstances. There are, there are times when that feels like the right choice to make and then other times where it seems excessive. And I wouldn't say this movie is excessive necessarily, but um, there are there are moments that that kind of border on exploitative to me. I, I'm sure she didn't yeah. feel that way. Well, maybe I shouldn't speak for her, but, you know, she, she chose yeah. to work with him multiple times again. Um, so I'm guessing that, right. you something, know. Something was working for her. Right. Um, and I think it probably helped that again. She was dating Nicolas Cage, who was you know she was doing the scenes with that. Probably makes it a little bit easier, but um, maybe that doesn't make it easier. I don't know. You're still surrounded by a camera crew, so does that make it easier? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just actors actors are brave. Yeah. <laughs> for, for getting in there and being willing to do that at all. Yeah. And make it even look halfway realistic right right because uh, it's just awkward yeah um did you have other ones that you wanted to talk about i have a few other ones but i don't want to take all the time so um her most recent project uh was the tale for hbo and it's got quite it's got a packed cast yeah and i know you, you watched it and read the book right i didn't read the book no i did i did watch oh, okay. it yeah no i did okay. watch it and I'm only about 40 minutes in, and I know generally what it's about, and so far it's been really fantastic. It's very tense, um, and yeah. you do a good job of building tension, because you don't, you don't really know how things are going to unfold. So why don't, since you've seen the whole thing, why don't you speak, speak to it? Well, um, I, you and I talked about this right before we started taping, um, and, I, and I said to you, you should keep going, because it's, it's not an easy film to watch, uh, but... There are certain things about this that um, I think the reason that this movie, it takes on a very, very difficult subject, um, which is the kind of, I don't, uh, the basically sexual abuse of a child um, and kind of takes yeah. a, a different route, basically, because um, you really see this, how this manifests on somebody who is afraid to say something for so many years and then is really willing to do anything to tell her story. You know, it kind of flips 
basically exactly where, you know, for years she was afraid to say anything and now she just wants somebody to listen to her. And so the kind of issues that one bumps up against, uh, especially in this case, because it was, um, the, are you, do you know who it is that, that did this thing to her? Are you far um, enough? Well, I get the impression that it's Elizabeth Debicki and the, and the Jason, you know what I'm talking about? The actor? Uh, oh, Jason Ritter. <laughs> Jason Ritter. Yeah, the Jason Ritter character, I, I mean, the way it's building, it, it appears that it's one or both of them in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I, the thing that it's, having not watched the second half of it, um, the thing that I already, uh, love is probably the wrong word, but one thing I very much appreciate about the film is how it captures uh, how murky it is. Yep. How you get there, how you're groomed, um, how it's not so black and white that a kid would be able to even remotely say no or understand what was happening to them. Right. Um, I think it captures that really well. Not even having seen the second half and knowing what's coming. It just establishes that gray area yeah. really well. My guess is you are probably just shy of some of the hardest scenes to watch. There's one in particular. I mean, basically, the fact... I am. She's driving her to dinner. She, okay. she stays an extra day at the horse camp. Yeah. And um, Elizabeth Zizicki says, Bill and I want to take you to dinner. That's yeah. where I'm at. Okay. So th- what you're about to see are some of the harder things to watch. The fact that you were saying it sounds like it's Jason Ritter's character, you will have no doubt in about one scene because they sh- they okay. plainly show things. Um, and I will say I find it... Uh, I, I don't really know much about Jason Ritter. I know he's been in a lot of things. I just haven't watched, I don't think, any of them. I don't think I've ever really seen him in anything before. But I, I am aware of who he is. Um, and I think it is a very brave, uh, choice to take on a role like that. I know that sounds like a strange thing to say, but I think that is, he plays a character that is so easy to dislike that that could lead to like disliking him as an actor. And, um, you know, so it is very, I don't know, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's not easy to, to take a role like this and he's very good in it. And I don't mean for that to sound weird because it's not the nicest, definitely not the nicest guy. So, um, but good for him. And what I will say without giving anything away uh, is the, you want to watch to the ending because there is a, an ending to this. And I, I, I know what you will think when I say what I'm about to say, and it's probably not nearly as you'll, you'll probably get further in your head than what it actually is, but it is a very satisfying ending. And um, what what happens and what he is kind of forced to confront is kind of done in a very uh, graceful and very uh, kind of satisfying way, to me anyway, as a viewer. I had a, I loved the ending in the last couple scenes, basically. Um, so... As I, you and I were texting about that that movie when we were talking about this episode, and I said this is a hard one to watch, but I think it's it's worth doing. Um, I when I kind of I was doing a little bit of research and I saw some headlines about the tale, and somebody I don't know if it was just headline clickbait, but somebody the headline of one of these pieces I think it was Rolling Stone magazine actually that did this that said the tale is HBO's most controversial project ever. 
And I found that kind of interesting because um, I don't think that's true. Um, I'm sure there's more controversial things, but um, there's something about the, yeah. the marketing of this too. It's almost like that. that's, again, they're just trying to get people to click on their story. I get all that, but I don't know. There, I, there, yeah. there's part of it that makes me wish that like, no, that, that kind of like short sells this movie and that there's other bits of marketing around this movie that I think also fall into a similar trap where it's just kind of about this, you know, thing and this very extreme story. And it is an extreme story, but it also happens to way more, you know, young boys and girls than we ever could possibly imagine. So it's, it, it's not oh, yeah. easy to watch and there haven't been stories like this, but there are going to continue to be stories like this and we need to pay attention to them. So kind of selling it on the like shock factor alone to me is, is short selling the movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever it's worth. It's uh, reductive. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I loved about it? And I, I can't, I can't really in my, in my memory think of a film that does this in this way is that it really is from her perspective and her memory. Right. So when she's first thinking back to that period of time when she was 13, we see a more mature-looking young actress. Uh-huh. And then she, and then it flashes forward. She goes to her mom's house. She's looking through photo books, and she finds a picture of herself. And her mom says, no, no, that was you at 15. And she flips the page and finds a much younger picture she's like this is you at 13 and then when you go into the flashbacks it all shifts and you see everything again but with a younger actress in its place and it just i think it captures so well um the flaws in our memory yeah that's what happens is you think you were older or you see things differently or someone was so tall when you were little but in fact they were your same height that you are now or you know those things and it captures it the way she would have seen it and i think that is brilliant yeah. so brilliantly done yeah and it's not in your face it's not a gimmick it's just the best structure for how to tell this story and that's what i find so powerful yeah um minor things that 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 reminded me of actually was i had never to the best of my recollection, I don't think I'd ever seen a movie that went out of its way to say a few things. I saw it uh, like in an advertisement for it. And then I can't remember if they put this at the beginning of the movie, but I think they did. And I'm pretty sure that they also put it at the end of the movie. Two things. One was just kind of, it seemed like almost a legal thing about this was somebody's very specific recollection, you know, basically yeah. a, like, you know, some names have been changed, but this is my story to my recollection of it. And then it also made a point out of saying that because there was a child being represented, that the nudity involved in her character when she was underage was, was performed by an adult, you know, it was an adult body devil. Um, do you remember the first part of that? I don't know. I just, I don't remember that ever being like before a movie before that. That That is one of those things too that when you see it, you're like, oh shit, this is real. Like this is what we're about to see is a very, uh, you know, yeah, kind of brace yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some iteration of this is one person's story. Right. But not like that. 
Yeah. And it does serve a dual purpose. Like it feels like it very much has a legal purpose. But then um, with regard to the, the um, this is one person's perspective and story portion of it uh-huh. only, um, I think it really does set you up for the um, structure and format sure. of the movie. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I mean, audiences are smart, obviously, we catch on. But it's nice to have a, it's nice to have a cue <laughs> when you're going into it because you know immediately, oh, these are her memories. Right, right. Oh, there's a shift. And it's made so well, it wouldn't matter. Even if that wasn't there, you'd know what was happening. Right. Um, but... Yeah, no, it was fascinating to me. It's definitely like, oh, oh, my girl. Yeah. Yeah, there's a <laughs> That's lot. That's why it's taken me so long to get through it. I'm taking it in steps because I do find it very tense. Because nothing's really happened up to this point that I've seen. Right. Um, but you just know it's coming. The middle chunk is the hardest, for sure. But there's a great ending. Yeah. And it's not the kind of ending that you could just skip to. It won't be as satisfying. You kind of have to just, you know, get through it. Yeah, no, I won't skip. <laughs> But I'm going to get through it because her performance in it, even just for the first 40 minutes, is brilliant. Like right. She always is. Right. This movie didn't kind of really mess me up in the way that sometimes movies that are, you know, of a really dark nature do. Don't get me wrong. Um, there is a lot to uh, kind of be fearful of in this movie. And there's a lot to learn from this movie. And it's important to listen to these stories um, but I think because the ending to me, I, I really, I'm probably overselling the ending at this point, but because the ending is so, she really kind of finds her strength and she, you know, it's 30 years later than, you know, this guy kind of gets away with yeah. stuff for far too long, but it is so redemptive at the end that it did not leave me kind of like paralyzed. I will say that. I don't think you will kind of be okay. wrecked emotionally by this movie. So, um, so we should uh, just kind of quickly talk about a few other ones. I don't know if there are other specific sure. performances that you wanted to talk to uh, talk about. I wanted to point out one thing that I that I think is very interesting, and I'm not the first person to point this out. But in the year 2014, she played uh, Shailene Woodley's mother in The Fault in Our Stars, and that same year she yeah. played Reese Witherspoon's mother in Wild. And now all three play parents of roughly the same age on <laughs> Big Little Lies. Which I guess maybe not. That's the, awesome. You know, Shailene Woodley is definitely the kid out of that group. But at the same time, you know, like they're all parents who have kids who are exactly the same age. So um, I don't know. There's something about that that is very interesting to me. Have you seen Wild? I have seen parts of it. Okay. And I have not seen any of Lori Burns' parts. And it's, um, it's on my list. I okay. have wanted to see it since it came out. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's very and good. It kind of... I feel like it's, I don't want to say a renaissance because she has been a consistently working actor, a successful working actor for so long, but I feel like that put her, um, that was the film that really put her back on a sort of, you know, the, the masses map. I agree. I agree. Both those movies were fairly big deals at the time. The movie that she did most recently before those movies in 2014 was The Master, um, that Paul Thomas Anderson oh, movie, yeah, that she, yeah. which she has a nice supporting role in. But at the same time, she was doing Enlightened. She did, you know, 18 episodes of that over a couple of seasons. So she'd kind of been in the TV realm. 
And Enlightened did well enough. You know, it only lasted two years, but I know she won, I think, a Golden Globe for it. Um, I can't remember if she won an Emmy yeah. for it or not. But um, So the movies that she'd done before that, she'd really been in supporting roles. You know, if you look at her, The Master was a supporting role. She was in the Little Fockers movie, very supporting. Everything Must Go with Will Ferrell was supporting. A movie called Tenderness with um, with Russell Crowe that actually is quite good. Um, so, you know, she'd done yeah. a lot of, like, really small supporting roles. She did a, a HBO mini or a TV movie called Recount that was about the Al Gore-George Bush election. That's another yeah. really great performance of hers. Um, so if you haven't watched that, uh, she plays Catherine Harris, who... Uh, <laughs> who is one of the real key players. Uh, she was, I think, the governor. I never know if it... I, I think it must be the governor of Florida. And, you know, the whole hanging chads thing where she basically gave the election to George W. Bush. Perhaps, depending upon your perspective, yeah. you might view it another way. But, you know, uh, she was definitely a key player in that whole thing. So, um, yeah. Did you have other ones that you wanted to talk about at all? No, I mean, I'm still on, I'm still on a Laura Dern adventure. Yeah. <laughs> I still have more to see. I have a lot to see. Um, and I, I really can say, like, she is new on my radar. I'm so glad she is. Um, because I really do think she's brilliant. And she has deserved more attention and accolades than she's received yeah. from all of us. Um, I, I could... So I'm excited to go back to her work and, and review it. I'm happy to give a suggestion or two if, if you would be interested. Um, yeah, absolutely. One of, I think actually my favorite Laura Dern performance is in a very small movie called We Don't Live Here Anymore. Um, it's a really, really interesting movie. Um, so it's basically a four-hander. There's basically four people in this entire movie. It's Laura Dern and Naomi Watts and then Peter Krause and Mark Ruffalo, they, they play two yeah. couples. And um, it's just one of those movies. That one is the one how I had a similar thing that you did after Jurassic Park, where the movies that she was in were not ones that I was seeing at the time. Again, I was relatively young, um, but, you know, I'm looking at her IMDb right now. And after 93, when she did Jurassic Park in a Perfect World, she did a lot of TV movies, um, you know, that I probably just didn't see. She did a movie called Citizen Ruth, which is Alexander Payne's basically like his first big movie. Um, and then she did, you know, movies like October Sky, which I never saw. That was a relatively big movie. She did, I did see that at the time. Did you? Do you have any memories of that uh -huh. one? I remember loving it. Oh, I remember really? Okay. thinking it was really sweet. But I, I, I mean, I saw it when it came out. So. Sure. Is it Jake Gyllenhaal in that? I think you're right. Yeah, I think that is one of his yeah. kind of early roles. Um, yeah, him and yeah. Chris Cooper. Um, she... She's in a movie called Dr. T and the Women, which is a one of Robert Altman's yeah. kind of later pieces. I did see that in the theater. <laughs> that is a uh, odd movie. And I actually, I, I rewatched this. I've heard this. interesting things about it. Well, the thing that it's kind of notorious for is it shows a live birth. Um, very graphically, actually. It shows, you know, the child coming out. Um, and so that was... That was kind of very. I mean, it's the movie is about a gynecologist, and basically, it's about these you know all these women who are in love with Richard Gere, this gynecologist, and it's kind of again from a you know 
enlightened point of view, that's kind of an O'Barf scenario. But at the same time, it's Robert Altman. And um, I, I have a lot of respect for Robert Altman. This is definitely not my favorite movie of his. Um, but actually, I like a lot of the cast. Laura Dern's in it. Helen Hunt is in it. And actually, she's really good in it, too. Um, Shelley Long is in it. There are some, you know, there's some real legitimate talent in this movie. And it's just kind of a, a scenario that you go, you guys couldn't have done something else with the same group of people. Um, but anyway, I kind of lost my train of thought on We Don't Live Here Anymore. That was kind of the one that I started this um, thing on. But go see that movie. It's, yeah. a, it's a very small movie, but find a way to see that movie if you can. It's just, it, it's a, one of those movies that, that could be a play. The whole thing could take place on stage. It's a very kind of like one set, four actors kind of thing. Um, but four really gifted actors and like i said this was the movie that after jurassic park there was this kind of 10 year stretch where i would see her from time to time and things but this is the movie that made me go oh shit laura dern how did i forget about laura dern she's so good and uh really since then she's been back fully on my radar and you know luckily i've had time to go back and and view all the things that she made both before jurassic park like those david lynch movies and um you know even other things that she was in uh, even as a kid, going back, she was in a Martin Scorsese movie, you know, when she was young. Do you know that story? She yeah, was she, in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Do you know that one? Didn't she, like, go audition or, like, put in for the part, like, behind her mom's back? That was a different one. That was Ladies and Gentlemen, okay. The Fabulous Stains, which is, uh, I have seen that movie, okay. too. That's that's with, that's with kind of how Diane Lane, I think, kind of made her name. But, no, I know what you're saying. She, um, Her mom didn't want her to make that movie and so laura dern actually sued for emancipation from her parents and won oh whoa i know yeah well i guess at that point she did but see that's what i'm saying is they must they for sure have re you know i've seen her at appearances with both of them and her mother has been in like five movies with her so obviously they reconciled um oh yeah Definitely. But, you know, that was, she must have been, well, I, I mean, to be emancipated from your parents, you have to be under 18. So she was probably 15 or 16 or something. And I, I'm not sure how she managed to do it, but she did. She she managed to be, get emancipated from her parents in order to be in that movie. Wow. Yeah. But um, anyway, she was, she had this bit role in a Martin Scorsese movie called Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which is uh, one of Martin Scorsese's first movies, and it stars Ellen Burstyn and Chris Christopherson. And, she um, won the Oscar for that, didn't she? Uh, Ellen Burstyn. Ellen Burstyn did, yeah. And um, yeah. so she played, she played, a, again, she was very young at this point. She must have been like, I don't know, eight or nine at, at most, basically. And... Um, she had to eat a bowl of ice cream in the scene. And so I guess um, she they, they did the scene 19 times. So she had to eat ice cream 19 times, like a lot of it, I guess. And they said she did it without complaining. She did not get sick. So Martin Scorsese was like, she's going to be an actress. If she can do this, <laughs> you know, like she's going to be fine. She, yeah. should, she should be in movies. So um, that was really her kind of second credit. She's She has a... She's in some thing in 1973 called White Lightning um, with Ned Beatty and Burt Reynolds also as a kid. She must have just, I don't know, gotten an extra role on that or something. But that really is her first um, role. And she did supporting stuff until, you know, like Mask, that Cher movie in 1985 with Christina Ricci and um, Cher. Um, 
Yes, I do remember that. Wait, I'm not, Christina Ricci's not in that. She's in Mermaids with Cher. So. No, it's not Christina Ricci. It's Cher and Eric Stoltz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sam Elliott. Yeah. So anyway, um, well, that's pretty good. Oh, the one other thing I was going to, uh, we've kind of talked ourselves to death here, but um, one other thing that a lot of people will probably remember her for, and kind of an interesting career thing, was she was on the episode of Ellen, where uh, Ellen came out, which I remember being a very big was deal. Really, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that episode. She was. That's crazy. She was the woman that that Ellen's character, for you know, became attracted to, and she was willing to admit to her for the first time that she was a lesbian. And um, I remember watching that. I think I feel like everybody in the country watched that episode. You know, it's so kind of yeah. amazing how far we've come in the twenty five years since that. But, um, yeah. you know, that was a huge deal when that happened. And um, she, Laura Dern said that she basically, she was blacklisted by Hollywood for two years after that. She could not, oh she could not get work because there were so many people. And she's not the only one who has said that. Oprah Winfrey was in that episode in a small cameo too. And she said that she got more hate mail from being on that episode than anything she ever did. And, you know, I mean, like, she used and to get hate mail so for, like, sad. yeah, for, like, various things, you know, people she would have on her show, you know. All, all, every once in a while she'd do something that was controversial on, on the Oprah Winfrey show, but she said she never got as much hate mail as she did for doing that episode of Ellen. And so Laura Dern took the hit. I think, you know, she probably had to assume that there was going to be at least some fallout for it, but she was willing to do it anyway. And, uh so good for her because I that think that is why Laura Dern is so amazing. Yep. One well, because she's you can see that in her in everything she does. Yeah, she stands up for what she believes in, and you know, it's it's yeah. not easy to do that in the moment. But I think history tends to like you know we're, history is already you know I think even ten years after that history was already looking back and you know, seeing that she was on the correct side of that and Ellen was on the correct side of that. And certainly 25 years later, it's, I, I won't, you know, I won't diminish anybody by saying it's not a big deal because to some people it is and there's still more work to be done. But at the same time, like we've come so far that like an episode like that now would get very little attention at all. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't be controversial. It would just yeah, be a TV show. What a way to pave. You know, I know. Paved the way for people. We're now on, um, you know, the Good Wife spinoff with Christine Baranski. Uh -huh. You know, there's an open, openly gay relationship. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's on a lot of shows. That's just one of, of you know, many I oh, yeah. picked out. And it, and it is so, so much has to do with that moment. Yeah. Yeah, it all it all kind of stems back to that. By the way, I did recently watch the first season of that show. Um, it's really yeah. great. I'm looking forward to season two. I don't have the CBS access thing, so I have to wait till it comes out on DVD. But I had never, I was unfamiliar because, you know, I'm a very casual Game of Thrones person. Like I've watched episodes, but I've never really like started at the yeah. beginning and made my way all through it. But um, I think her name is Rose Leslie. She's the other yeah. lead on that show. She's pretty fantastic. She's really. She's wonderful. She's really uh, she was in charismatic. She season of Downton Abbey. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she was. First, yeah. Yeah. First season, and then Game of Thrones, and then the, 
She just married Jon Snow. I know. I saw the pictures. Uh, you couldn't it's escape so from that. I think there was more coverage for that than the most recent <laughs> royal <laughs> wedding. I Again, I'm not really a Game of Thrones person, and I don't, uh, you know, I've seen little of it enough to not really get, I know who Jon Snow is, but like, there's a lot of in jokes and all sorts of stuff going on there that I just don't get still. Basically, my thing with Game of Thrones is I want to approach it the same way I approach a lot of television shows, which is wait until it's Uh all done and then do the whole thing, you know, binge it instead of, I I don't want to have to wait. I know there's two years between the first half of this last season and the second half. I mean, it's going to be two years. It's ridiculous. Right. I've seen them all. Well, see, that's why I'm concerned, though. That's why I'm concerned, because I feel like I, at some point I'm just going to have to bite the bullet within these two years and do it. Right now I'm doing that with Homeland, which is which is still running. But I realize yeah. that I've kind of like the last two or three seasons, which are supposed to have been very good, um, I've yeah. just kind of like let slip through my radar. I watched the first three seasons and really loved them and then just kind of like stopped paying attention. And I thought, yeah. I'm going to see what's... I, I wanted to see what's going on. But then I thought, well, you know what? Go back and watch it from the beginning because otherwise I would forget too much. So I've binged yeah. through three seasons of that within the last you know couple months. And, and now I'm back into season four, which is where I kind of left it off. So um, anyway. Right. I will tell you without getting into it, like if you decide to take the Game of Thrones leap, uh-huh. um, HBO, although they're getting better, and the Game of Thrones show have, uh, have a little bit of a womanish womanish. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Like they have, they bring really strong women, and women play a large part in the show. So they're not, you know, they're not nominal or or um, you know negligible. But then on top of that, there's a lot of objectification of women, unnecessary, oh yeah, gratuitous, yes, nudity and female abuse. I've like, seen. Yikes! This is a fantasy world, guys. Right. I've seen fantasy. enough of this show to be aware of that. I was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we better wrap it up. Um, so, yeah. do you want to tell them what the plan is for our next episode, Meryl? Okay. So, if we get an episode in between now and the Mamma Mia opening, we're going to do Silkwood. If we don't, we're going to be doing our next episode on Mamma Mia. So it's um, it's a you know it's a game of guessing for our listeners. Yeah. Either Hopefully way, we'll get to Silkwood. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. Me too. Silkwood is I, I'm predicting will jump to the top of my rankings list probably in both categories. But yeah. Um, and I've seen it before. I know this is we've talked about this in the last two or three episodes. That this is one I believe you have not previously seen, and I'm so excited for you I to have see not. it. I'm so excited. Um, so Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia 2 is opening July 20th. I think it's one of those movies that's actually opening like the day or two before it. Um, so if we can, you know, get it in before then, we'll do that. Otherwise, we might do a Mamma Mia twofer and do both Mamma Mia movies or something. Um, but we want to talk about... Oh, that's a good idea. 
yeah, we, we want to talk about the new movie while it's out in the theaters. Um, so we'll do that. And uh, we'll just do Silkwood, hopefully before. But if we don't get to it before that, it'll be the movie after that. Because we keep our 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s thing going on. So we're due for an 80s movie, and that's the one we decided on. And we're excited about it. So we will be back, hopefully, really soon with Silkwood. Um, and we look forward to being back. And thank you for being with us today. Thank you, everybody. That's all.